This week's John Tapp Racing Podcast is brought to you by Inglis, number one in its field. Anthony Cummings has been working closely with his son Edward since 2012. They jointly prepared Five and a Half Star when the gelding went from a three-year-old maiden to the Victoria Derby in the space of three and a half weeks and then later to the BMW the following autumn. They collaborated on the training of Man From Uncle who put together a couple of very good wins in the Group 3 Eskimo Prince and the Group 2 Hobartville Stakes in the autumn of 2017. Now, shortly after, Edward decided to become an official training partner of his multiple Group 1 winning dad and the pair have been a team ever since operating out of Leilani Lodge, previously headquarters to Bart, who passed away in 2015. I haven't had a talk with Anthony Cummings in a long, long time and it's great to welcome him to the podcast this week. Anthony, my boy, I've hauled you out of the sack on a Sunday morning. (laughs) How are you, John? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. What a week. How do these training partnerships work, Anthony? I can't get my head around them. Does each partner um, have his own separate duties or is there consultation on all matters? I think the best ones have to be consultation on all matters, I would imagine. What I say, two heads are always better than one, even if they're sheep heads. So yeah. um, the... Um, you know, that's sort of the basic premise. So, you know, we talk about it uh, and, you know, map out plans for the horses and, uh, you know, programming and those sorts of things. And, you know, Edward's been some help with the, the programming of them, certainly. Um, the, um, you know, there's been a lot of changes in what we've been doing lately uh, in shifting back into Dad's place and uh, and the things that, the, all the challenges that sort of provided. And then, um, yeah, just, the, you know, the way different pedigrees and horses sort of strike you and the, the changes that come from that. Mm. I've wondered, you know, what would the situation be if two training partners differed in their opinion about a track gallop? You know, if uh, if trainer A says, I want to work such and such, and trainer B says, I think you're overdoing this horse, there must be friction on occasions. Oh, I suppose so. I mean, we haven't struck that yet. Um, and as much as I suppose... Um the uh, being the older partner, the father, and uh, and um, the perhaps more experienced in the first place, well, a lot of the times Edward defers to me. I mean, he, he's not short of a comment uh, yeah. along the way, yeah. and nor should he be. But um, certainly in the first part, it's it's sort of gone along mostly my way, I suppose. But you know, I, I still had to listen to what he's got to say, and and when you come to uh, making a decision about that horse in his next few gallops, perhaps. Mm. You know, those different views temper what you do going forward. Yeah, yeah, of course. Can I ask you this? Would your father have been able to work in a partnership? Uh, I suppose one way or another we did, um, you know, for a long time. It, it wasn't a partnership at name, but in, in how the Sydney stable ran, um, you know, in my sort of uh, final few years there, it was sort of uh, virtually the same. Um, the uh, for at different times, Dad wasn't in the stable much. I mean, the year we won the premiership, I mean, he spent six months in hospital for different things, and uh, and then had a, a legal case to the battle, and, and he wasn't there. So, mm. um, in that case, it all fell to me, uh, and and the successes continued the same. Yeah. Um, the um, so I suppose in many respects, uh, you know, it, it was a partnership, and I suppose when uh, he got healthy and got his troubles behind him. 
uh, is when it got much harder because he was there in, in sort of full force, you know, full voice, uh, and mm. um, the um, you know there were clashes about ideas and, and those things at that time, um, and that's you know, I suppose a couple of years later when I went off my own. Edward seemed to take a little while to make up his mind about a future in racing. I think he took himself off to university at one stage, didn't he, and mm. gained a degree in communication. So he must have been thinking of other things early on. Yeah, I think you know James had a head start certainly, mm. and that shows, I suppose. Um, you know, he he took that view fairly early on, uh, and he spent a little bit of time at uni, but left there and. Uh, and went to work in in the thoroughbred industry, so I suppose, as much as I did uh, at about the same time. Mm. Um, Edward continued on and, uh, and got his degree uh, and hadn't planned to be involved in horses, but uh, when James went to work for Dad, uh, there was a spare chair there, and I was just sort of sitting there one morning thinking, well, there's another son, and he doesn't have a job. So uh, mm. I rang him up and uh, asked him what he was up to and whether he had a job or prospects, and didn't, didn't seem to be much happening. So I said, well, there's a job here, be here tomorrow or not, but well, your choice, but mm-hmm. um, the uh, it's there if you want it. You so worked. anyway, yeah. he turned up. He certainly did. He's still there and you're having a great time mm-hmm. and it's you just need that elusive Group 1 horse to walk through the gate and he will. Yeah. Now, Anthony, you worked for Bart for close to 20 years before mm-hmm. you decided to go it alone. You must have had some owners lined up, did you? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I uh, in terms of um, probably twenty or thirty horses and people and the rest of it. So, um, you know, that had um, uh, sort of been there supporting me as much as Dad and, and, and our situation, and were happy to sort of go with me when the time came. So um, that made it a bit uh, simpler um, in that regard to go along and give you the confidence to go along and do all that and. You know, we had success, you know, fairly quickly. Um, yeah. The first group one was only a few months away, and uh, but then it did take a little bit of time to get to the second one, uh, and then <laughs> a fair few since. Yeah. Anthony, can you recall the moment when you told Bart you were going out on your own? Were you in the office? Were you around the stable somewhere? Were you at home at a barbecue? I- I'd love to yeah. see his initial um, reaction. Do you recall? Oh, we just... We talked about, um, you know, a bit more of a share in the business and different things. Uh, and um, the, um, uh, I, I think it was, I can't remember exactly what the percentages were, but mm. it wasn't much. Uh, and I just said to him, I don't think he could live on 10%. I think it was something like that. So, um, the, yeah. um, uh, and so, you know, basically from that time on, it was, you know, that was what was going to happen. Um, the uh, When he got into some financial difficulties, uh, I took out a license because, uh, you know, in the event that, you know, he finished up going bankrupt or whatever, there was a prospect that he would lose his license. And mm. for the continuity of the business, there needed to be a license holder uh, on the premises. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was what started in the first place. Uh, yeah. And then I suppose that opened the door. And then it was just a matter of, uh, you know, at what point we decided to walk through it. Yep. It must have been a scary experience nonetheless. I mean, how do you follow Bart Cummings? Um, didn't have to find him. He was there. he was pretty much there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he was just um, yeah, um, which, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you just do what you do. I mean, you've got the horses to train, and yeah. uh, and there's a job to be done. So you just get on and do it. Every freshman trainer needs a good one to come along straight away. 
you pulled an absolute ace out of your sleeve. A mm, long striding sprinter called Final Card. And you didn't mess about either. You you won the Group One Gadsden Stakes over the Melbourne Cup Carnival. I think Greg Childs yeah. rode the horse. That's right. Um straight race has been a bit kind to me along the way. We've had a bit of luck there. Um the um uh and he was the start of that. Uh, I'd sort of grown up um and watched those races when I was a kid and I know they always uh, played an important part in, in Dad's view of Flemington and, mm. and the Carnival and those things, and uh, some of his biggest wins were out the straight at Flemington. Uh, and they're always exciting races. So, you know, they uh, were always in the mind's eye, uh, and he was you know, a pretty nice horse. And, um, Dad had trained him as a three-year-old, uh, and um, when I went out my own, uh, Bob Scarborough was kind enough to give him me to train, and, uh, and off we went. So um, it's uh, a couple of runs in Sydney just to sort of try and get the horse to settle a bit. He was a bit, uh, you know, hard going. Mm. Uh, and just uh, all he needed to do was sort of take, you know, half a step back and, and, and he would be up to that standard. And yeah. that's pretty much the way it worked out. So, yeah. You got hold of a very good filly, uh, Anthony, a few years later by the name of On Air. She won about mm. 700,000 all up. I remember she, she ran a good race in the flight stakes and then she went out for that's a break. Right. Came back in the autumn of '98. She ran in Melbourne first up, didn't she? Uh, yeah, she didn't run in Melbourne in the spring, but she, I think, I'm pretty sure she was there in the autumn. But you know, I mean, yeah. she um, the last the race that became the Golden Rose, she uh, beat um, the horse of uh, Guy Walters that was a good stayer mm. um, for Tate's. But um, uh, so she beat him in, in that race, and that sort of put the flag up about you know, her quality. Yeah, uh, and then she came along, and she was very unlucky in the Storm Queen, and uh, and finished up winning the Oaks. Um, got knocked over in the Storm Queen, and ran second or third or whatever. But uh, the, the, the winning the Oaks was was very very good. You know, uh, John Marshall was her jockey there. John had been riding for Bart mm. for many many years. He's long retired now, living in Queensland, following mm. the fortunes of his son Taylor, who's been yeah. riding a few winners of late. But Anthony, I remember your dad telling me once that never in his entire career uh, had he had a stable jockey of such a high degree of reliability. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Johnny was a great result for the uh, for the stable. Uh, absolutely reliable, uh, and he, uh, you know, he a fantastic work ethic. You know, he was there every day as as often as you wanted him. He would be there, uh, and you know, he had a. Um, uh, a good idea about them and what to do and you know the, in, it helped us rate the horses as well um, in uh, in terms of quality standard those sorts of things but certainly against the clock too in, in the gallop so you know he was a, a great help to the place. Anthony I'll just get you to stand by there for a moment while we take a little break on the podcast interview back after this. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. My guest is Anthony Cummings, and uh, Anthony and his son Edward are now in a successful training partnership in the old Leilani Lodge, which had been headquarters for his dad, Bart, for so many years. I know when the place became available, Anthony, you moved heaven and earth to get back in there. 
Yeah, I went along and, uh, you know, Laurie Mackery was uh, there with James Heddo and walked around and just looked and uh, what what needed to be done and, you know, they were very helpful and uh, made the shift a, a very comfortable one and, and kept the coming his name at Leilani Lodge as it had been for the previous, oh, well, since about 1972, three, four yeah, or something. That's right, yeah. So it's been, been quite a long time. You hit a massive hurdle in the late 1990s when you were embroiled in the trend balloon affair, as it became known. You mm. had a Roundwick winner called Yalar's Star, which returned a positive swab to a substance called trenbolone. At that time, it was known to be used in cattle, but not in horses. Now, you thought it was an amino acid compound. Mm. Turned out to be an anabolic steroid. You were very ill-advised. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, I mean, trusted the wrong people and, and sort of paid full penalty for that. Um, wasn't as diligent about uh, homework as I should have been. Uh, but, no, you know, the, the thing is, at, the, at that stage, anabolics were allowed to a point, you know. Yeah, there were threshold levels and the rest of it, so um, it's different these days where there's a total ban. Uh, but the, the issue with the, or the issue that the system had with me was that I hadn't been diligent enough uh, and you'd sort of fall on for the three-card trick of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, young trainers sort of under pressure and you're looking in a different direction and, you know, made a bad decision. So um, that was unfortunate. But in a lot of respects, you know, it, um, you know, all those things sort of shape you. And, and when I came back um, from that time, I think I, uh, I was better than I had been when I went away. Had time to think about things uh, and to, so I suppose, centre your view uh, about uh, all situations that arise in a, in a racy stable. And came back and, um, you know, we had a, a group one winner from, I think, every year for the next 10 years in the stable, which we hadn't done before. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the stuff was homegrown stuff and it was a, you know, <clears throat> different view about pedigrees and breeding and horse selections and all sorts of things that, you know, had time to sit down and think about and work out where the successes were and certainly more likely where the failures were. Yeah. Uh, and steer the ship in the right direction. And, you know, we've been you know, very successful since then. You were outed for 18 months over that Trenbolone mm-hmm. affair, but your appeal resulted in a three-month reduction. But even so, yeah, it was the, just the, a the massive upheaval. Yeah, it was. And I, I mean, I suppose the only sort of thing that was, you know, the judge in, in giving the, um, the appeal or the, the time off uh, was that, you know, there was a lack of intent. You know, there's no intention to sort of go along and, and you know, uh, rot the system, if you like. Mm. It was just a bad decision um, uh, and a lack of homework. So yeah. um, I was, I took some solace in that. Um, the, um, um, But as I say, the time out was, uh, you know, it, at the end of the day was helpful and, mm. you know, um, it did help me become a better trainer in the long term. You were very upset at the time, as I recall, with the treatment you received from some sections of the press. It's a long time ago, Ant. Has time r- restored your trust in the media? Oh, no, it made me a realist, I suppose. Um, the, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of other people who've had um, more strife, I expect, uh, but at the end of the day, they're there to sell papers and that's what they do, so you just got to uh, take that as it is. Many have forgotten that you were the original trainer of Might and Power, Eventually, the winner of 15 races and over 5 million. You selected him as a yearling, Anthony, for Nick Moratus. Yeah, um, the, um, I was buying a few horses for Nick uh, that year, and I'd only just started training on my own, and sort of Might and Power was, was amongst those, and, uh, and plainly the, the, the best of them. 
Um, a couple of them weren't quite so good, unfortunately, but nevertheless, Morton Power was there. Uh, and it's uh, the ability to find those sorts of horses has always been around with, uh, for me, thankfully. Um, Defy was another one that came along after that, and then you know Beauty Generation, who's just been called the the, the horse of the year in uh, in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, sorry, in uh, was from New Zealand, but in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, started his life with me. We sort of picked him out as a yearling in New Zealand and uh, paid sixty grand for him. And you know, and, and the owner sold him because it was sort of, it was sort of around two million. So that was a pretty healthy result for us, and been a, been a great result for Road to Rock, who was an, uh, the stallion, who was another horse we trained, and mm. turned out to be a nice horse. So you know, um, the, um, the the ability to find those horses along the way for not a lot of money, you know, as as I say, thankfully stayed with me. It's an art in itself. How many runs did you give Might and Power? Uh, he had, I think, three for me. Yep. Uh, he had a run um, at Canterbury, and then he came to the Kensington track where he won. Yeah. Uh, and then we went to um, Rose Hill, and he was starting to fill his shins a bit, and mm. uh, he ran second that day. He couldn't get around the bend. Um, he uh, ran second that day, and then he went for a break. Uh, he came back to my place uh, for uh, the autumn, uh, mm. and it was about that time that um, we uh, parted ways with Nick, and, uh, and the horse went to Jack Denham. You know, that action that he had, uh, it's no surprise he was shin sore early and it was no surprise later in his life when he broke down. His action was very extravagant. Yeah, it did. And, you know, that was there as a baby. Uh, but there are other aspects to it that were um, really got me excited. And I thought that at the money and then given the pedigree and the, and the size of the horse, that mm. that would work out, um, you know, while... His leg gave me a bit of grief later on. That was pretty much as a six-year-old, and God knows how many miles he travelled. So, mm. you know, good legs or bad, that'll happen. Um, the um, or, or action, but um, certainly in the um, uh, in the Caulfield Cup when he let go, uh, he was uh, he was a bit all over the shop. Mm. He was more collected after that. I think you know that that whole experience for him was probably a bit of a learning curve, mm. and he was a better racehorse. I think after that. Let's whip through some of the nice ones you've trained over the last 15 years or so. What about Casino Prince? He won five yeah. races, 1.2 million. I think he won a Chipping Norton. Yeah, he won a Chipping Norton. He was uh, unlucky in the slipper, uh, missed the start, and uh, Jimmy sort of dug him up, and uh, he, he got on himself and, and half tore a shoe off and, uh, the, uh, and sort of couldn't stretch out. Um, he sort of showed the right form. I mean, Miss Finlay won that race quite comfortably. And then as three-year-olds, they both turned up in the Caulfield Guineas and uh, there was a, a split hair between them and unfortunately that they the wrong way. Um, the, um, but certainly he was of that standard uh, and a pretty nice horse. I bought him out of the Adelaide South for 140 grand and uh, yeah. you know, he turned out to be a great result. Outback Prince was another one. He only won four races, but he earned 840-odd thousand. He won a group yeah. one, the TJ Smith. Yeah, he was a homebred. Um, uh, Hal Dival, uh, Julia Ritchie, and uh, my wife raced a mare called Terrestrial. Uh, and when I got into strife, uh, Hal uh, bought my share in the mare. Uh, and at that point, uh, I think our back prince was inside, or was just had just been born. Um, mm. And uh, I think he'd just been born. And, and Hotel Grand it was the next one. He was uh, out of the mare. Uh, he was inside. So. It was a bit, of, a bit of a miss, but you know, thankfully, Hal and Julia uh, left the progeny with me to train as they came along, and our back prince was a great result. And you know, he was a Group One winner as a two-year-old in um, in Queensland in the in the mile race there uh, through their junior carnival. 
Uh, and so that was a, a great return, <clears throat> you know, after the um, the time out. I had to get back and have a group one also quickly was uh, was a great result. Dealer Principal was a quiet achiever, wasn't he? He won a Rosehill Guineas, yep. ran fourth in a derby and collected a fair bit of money. Yeah, he was a pretty nice horse and, you know, he was unlucky. He really outside in the derby. You know, he'd, uh, he was a, a great three-year-old. Um, the uh, Peter Horwitz uh, owned him and, um, you know, we had a bit of a discussion about whether to run in the... Um, the round with guineas, uh, but uh, in, in, on the day finished up running in a benchmark race. Mm. Uh, Peter won the argument, uh, ran there where, where he won, and then he went from there to, to win the Rosehill Guineas, and then, uh, as I say, an unlucky run in the um, in the Derby. And you know, it uh, he didn't get back to that for much, fortunately, but uh, certainly mm. he was a, a very good three-year-old. You loved a horse called Smart Missile. He only had six mm. starts. He won three. Won the Breeders' Plate early on. He wasn't allowed to run in the slipper. What happened there? Yeah, that was pretty upsetting. Um, the um, uh, in a split second, um, the guy that was uh, holding him in the in the stall sort of looked the other way and threw his lead back. Mm-hmm. Um, Bossy did the same thing, and so there was basically no one watching the horse. And it was a horse that always wanted attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, a good natured thing in the most part around the stable. But uh, unless you gave him the attention that he thought he deserved, he would um, make his presence felt. Mm. So when no one was looking, he just sort of uh, jumped up and put his foot on the on the ledge inside the uh, the, the chair with the mm. inside the barriers for each of the stalls, and just sort of stood there for a minute, uh, and then put his leg down. Um, so at that point, um, there was no contact with anyone at, at the stalls. The all the stewards' towers had been broken into some little time before, and all the two ways had gone. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, the vet there just uh, without trying him up or any reference to start, decide to take him out so there was no reference to anybody else uh, he just did that and you know it was probably a 30 or 40 million dollar decision um, he was uh, equal favourite for the race he'd beaten the eventual winner pretty comfortably the uh, in, the two weeks prior mm. and improved with that run uh, and um, the uh, I think would have won the race for sure but I mean that's the way you know, it goes sometimes um, you know, it, uh, it was at least, I suppose, in the Golden Rose, he got a start, but not one of Bossy's best rides, and he gave an impossible start and missed mm. out by head. Um, the, uh, you know, he's a very, very good horse, uh, and uh, unfortunately didn't get his group one on either occasion. Turfontaine was another one you loved. He was by Johannesburg. Um, yeah, he was a pretty nice horse. I paid, yeah. I think, 60 grand for him yeah. in the Melbourne sale. He won um, about a million and a half or three quarters or something. Um, we sold him for just about two million when he went to stud. Uh, and he's been a good stallion. But, you know, he, you know, he's winning the Alistair Clark. Oh, not the Alistair Clark, sorry, in the... Um, the William um, Reid. The William Reid. Uh, yeah. And uh, then the 1400 at Caulfield. I mean, they were very good wins. He was, you know, pretty unlucky. Up the straight in, in the uh, what was the Patnak then, uh, but the, uh, I think it's the Darling now. But the, the sprint race on the last day, mm. uh, Dad knocked us off that day um, with uh, with Swick. But um, you know, he, he, and also he raced in the new market up the straight that wanted one, you know, racing into that storm. And I don't think one horse passed another. Mm. Uh, the, the, the Flemington got wiped out about a minute after they hit the uh, went past the post and. It was quite an odd day, but uh, in any event, he was a proper Group 1 horse, and mm. you know he's gone on and, and been a successful stallion. Now, what about this old stayer, Zavit? 
He went on yes, and sir. on and on. He won two point mm. four million. He won a Randvet. He ran second in a BMW. He won an Auckland Cup. He won an yep. Adelaide Cup and a Launceston Cup. Yeah, he's unlucky in the Hobart Cup. He should have won the BMW. He was three deep the trip. Yeah, uh, and uh, and couldn't get in. And another horse just had a, a sucker on behind him and got him on the line. But uh, he was an above average stayer. I mean, he's winning the Randvet was pretty exciting. It was hundred to one. Mm. Uh, wet track, and he just uh, he, uh, he tucked it out. Um, and uh, yeah, he was a pretty exciting horse, a lot of fun, and, uh, and a nice group of owners. And mm. you know, the trip to Auckland was uh, uh, you know, as much fun as you can have in a, in a week, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he, he just a very good horse, very good stayer. And um, he was eighty grand out of uh, Easter Sale, and he just um, you know, he was a little bit differently built to a lot of the other uh, Zabils, and it mm. just appealed to me about how that would work, mm. uh, given his pedigree. And, um, uh, you know, once again, at the money, it was uh, pretty hard to resist, so it didn't, uh, and uh, we got the result. Jay Ford was telling me the other day, Anthony, that a horse mm. called Hotel Grand was uh, very good to him. He won a couple of Group 1s mm. on him for you, and he said, we never, ever saw the best of him. I think that's undoubtedly true. Um, mm. You know, it's um, probably the best he ever turned up at the races when he won the Champion Stakes. You know, the, yeah, the Champion Stakes at 2,000 metres at Randwick. And, mm. you know, he was dominant that day uh, in his age group. Um, as it turned out, um, uh, when they were doing the pre-race testing, you know, take blood from him or whatever the week before, uh, they'd stirred up uh, his vein. And he, he came down after that win, with an infection in the vein, uh, as a result of, of you because know, he backed up week to week and the dulcifer into the into the um, um, champion stakes, and uh, he got a, an infection in his vein, and it, it turned out to be a little bit worse than we expected. Uh, he went and raced in the Cox Plate, but it was well below his best. He led him into the straight into the um, uh, into the Cox Plate, the Maccabee Diva one, mm. uh, and then um, you know he was pretty flat for a bit. Came back. Um, into uh, the autumn and won the Ramaginis, uh, which was pretty good, but then had a similar issue after he came out of the race of Guineas and had a bit of a, uh, an ankle as well. Mm. Um, and that was pretty much the end of him. We tried to get him back a couple of times, but couldn't. And, mm. you know, it was, uh, you know, had he been able to, you know, get through all of that and stay sound, well, you know, he, would, he could have been anything. Mm. Road to Rock, uh, another one you developed eventually to become a good commercial stallion. He was a good yeah, one he, winner, he, he the Queen really Elizabeth. Good. Yeah, yeah, Queen Elizabeth, and uh, he went two way for a. He was unlucky in a Doncaster. Mm. Um, Ollie came back and made a couple of kilos heavy, got beaten in the head or something, mm. uh, and found the, the slow lane out of the straight. But um, uh, the um, uh, Ollie sort of cost me a couple of times in Doncaster. He should have won on Casino Prince. And, Mm. And then uh, had a big breakfast and uh, be, before Road to Rock. Um, so he was a pretty smart horse, and, and he uh, was the father, as I mentioned earlier, of Beauty Generation, who raced as Montaigne here in Australia. But uh, mm. uh, yeah, the uh, a pretty nice horse. He was about 100 grand, I think, out of uh, the Easter Sale, uh, and turned out to be a much better horse than that. Dew Porth was another Group One winner. Won the BTC Cup with Black Caviar's jockey on board, Luke Nolan. Yeah. That's right. Um, you know, he was a really, a really nice horse and turned out to be a, a really um, uh, good sire as well. Uh, I think Hey Doxy's Group 1 winner so far. I'd expect to be more to come. But um, the um, you know, he was a good result for Stable. He, he won that race up in, uh, in Queensland, pretty close finish. But, 
you know, he'd been around that, at that level and quite a few times and always raced well, but always, you know, without a, a touch of luck. We got the luck that day and, and, and the win and um, he went off to become a, a successful stallion. Um, and as I say, still sort of punching out winners now. Your song was a Group 1 winner, Anthony, the BTC Cup, a fast net rock, mm. and uh, already making his presence felt uh, as a sire. Yeah, well, yeah, he is certainly. And, you know, it was a, a very good group of three-year-olds in his year. I mean, he was sort of battling around against Piero. Uh, and so that, um, you know, uh, is one of the higher-rating three-year-old groups, you know, for some time. And so, you know, he was up there uh, and competitive. Uh he was first up that day, and you know, on the, uh, the the thought about going to Brisbane for the race, you know, it wasn't sort of set in stone. And we actually accepted for him and a benchmate race in um, in Sydney on the same day. So I reckon he would have made a mess of it if we'd stayed in Sydney. But mm. uh, I think he, he won by six or seven lengths when he won his Group One in uh, in Brisbane, and yeah. uh, that sort of set him up as a stallion. Uh, and uh, you know, he's done a great job so far off a limited book his last couple of years, but. Uh, and uh, not the quality of mares in his first year, but still lots of winners and stakes horses the rest of it. So I think his future is pretty much assured. Mm. Now, five and a half star is one of the best stories in recent history. I think mm. you trained his mother. I think you trained his grandmother. Yeah, that's right. Um, when I got, uh, got my holiday, uh, his grandmother was in the stable. And I had a good opinion of her. Thought she'd do well. Um, anyways, luck would have it. You know, that really didn't amount to much on, on on race day. I think she might have had two or three wins, but only at, at provincial mm. meetings and the like. Her name was um, Cross Words. That's right. Uh, yeah. And the uh, her first foal um, uh, became a horse called Cryptic Miss. And mm-hmm. as luck would have it, uh, Cross Words was um, struck by lightning uh, and uh, and died. And this other foal uh, was sort of hand red, but and then sold. Uh, basically, as an orphan, as it turned out, and the only foal of the mother, uh, naturally enough. But uh, it, I mean, the whole thing just sort of appealed to me. Um, the uh, we didn't pay a lot of money for it. I think it was sort of seventy grand or whatever at the, the scone sale. Mm. Uh, all we might have topped the sale that year, I think, as uh, all the fillies. Mm. Uh, and um, the uh, when she came into the stable, we showed a fair bit of speed. Uh, all we had having quite a stout pedigree, and it wasn't until uh, we stretched her, stretched her out that she showed that. And, Mm. Uh, she went to Gosford to win a maiden uh, over a trip there. Mm. Uh, shot well clear of the furlong, but then in the run boat attendant. Uh. Uh, she still won, uh, fell in by an inch or something on the line. And, mm. uh, it was a bit of a battle to save her, honestly, for a little time after. Mm. Uh, and then, um, um, you know, she was uh, went off to stud. Uh, and at that stage, the, the fellow that owned half of it with me um, Found himself in a, a bit of strife uh, in, in his marital situation, and the horses had to go. Uh, and we were putting together slowly a group of mares to become a, a breeding sort of band mm-hmm. uh, between us. And uh, so Al Dival and Julie Ritchie sort of came along and bought out, you know, his share in, in that mare amongst others. Uh, and uh, first foal was a winner, but uh, by Hotel Grand, uh, and then the second foal was uh, five and a half star. And uh, with five and a half stars, you know. I'd, uh, we'd, I'd trained Hotel Grand. I'd you know, been through the other generations of mm. um, on the mayor side, so he was sort of something we put together, you know, purposely to, to, to build something and, and try and help Hotel Grand establish himself as a stallion. Uh, and uh, he finished up being the Derby winner, so that was pretty exciting. Yeah, but not very long after he won his maiden, he was a slow beginner. It took him twelve starts to win a race at all. 
Yeah, and he won right. a three-year-old, mate. Next thing, he wins a Victoria Derby. You're a genius. <laughs> well, I saw you had that view about him in terms of quality for a while. He went fourth in the Fernhill uh, as a two-year-old, uh, and at that stage, we've, uh, it was fairly clear that he didn't like wet tracks much, and he, he caught a couple of those along the way, which sort of masked what he was. Mm. Um, the, um, his run in the Fernhill was very good. He's only beaten about a length. He was 100 to one that day. Um, the... Um, uh, and that sort of was the first sort of uh, ray of light about what he was you know, to do as, as things went on. Um, but when he got into that sort of purple patch of form in Sydney, uh, the, uh, you know, the decision to go to Melbourne for me was a pretty easy one. Uh, I had to sort of drag the others along kicking and screaming. They weren't quite as convinced, but in the finish, they were pretty happy. Anthony, where do we stand today? How many in work between you and Edward? Uh, I've got 57 in work at the minute. Um, no, nothing there. There's a, you'd say it was an established sort of star of any sort, but uh, mm. got some nice horses and uh, you know, young ones as always are the shiny lights um, and just wait and see which one sort of steps up. Well, we know what James Cummings is doing. We know what Edward <laughs> Cummings is doing. But you've got another son called Bartholomew. Now, the yeah. last time we spoke, you told me that he had no interest whatsoever in horse racing. Has anything yeah, changed there? No, nothing's changed there. Um, he's a teacher uh, and he likes all that stuff. Um, I think he's, he's getting married next year, which is uh, a great result for him and we're all very happy about. But, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's stayed away. I mean, he's an interested bystander, I suppose, at best, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's got his own life and enjoying that and, uh, and going well. Anthony, you and I have spoken many times over the years in various media channels. This is the first time on a podcast. It's been terrific to catch up, and I hope that Group 1 winner walks through the gate shortly. He might even be there, mate. You said you've got 57, haven't you? Yep. Yeah, mate, there's bound to be one there somewhere, maybe two. <laughs> All right. Good luck, Ant. Thanks for your time. Thanks, for over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field.